Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachat Sukkah, daf nun, page 50. We are in the final stretch. And to that end, we have a seum coming up on Sunday, August 29th um, at, what did we say, 9.30? Yes, 9.30 a.m., uh, 4.30 p.m. in Israel. Okay. Um, and we have a guest, Ellie Waller, who is a guide at Naot Kadumim, which is known for its representations of literally of Sukkot. So we look forward to her presentation and we hope you all will join us. Uh, you can find the link on, well, via WhatsApp, via Facebook, message me or your Dana if you don't ha- if you don't have access to find the link to register to get the link to the Zoom uh, for the CM of that day. In any case, we hope to we hope you will join us. Today we begin the fifth and final parak of the Masachet, and to that end, I'm going to jump right to the Mishnah that begins this new parak. Even though there's a little bit of the daf on Ahmed Aleph from the previous parak that we're not going to be talking about today, obviously we encourage you to read through it. Here we're really shifting gears. Hachaliel chamisha v'shisha zeu hachaliel shel beit hashoeva. So there's a flute that was played, was played on during Sukkot for five or six days. So you have to understand what this means. That it was five or six days, um, you know, specifically in terms of the rejoicing that would take place over Sukkot. And the Gemara, you know, is obviously going to, you know, expand on some of this. So the Gemara said, I'm sorry, the Mishnah here says, this is the flute of the Simcha Peta Shoeva. The Simcha Shoeva means literally the the rejoicing of the drawing of the water, which were these, you know, festivals really literally to celebrate the drawing of the water. Um, because Sukkot is, I guess, it's this festival of agriculture and also the water libations throughout are, are really speaking to that aspect of it. The the need for water, the, the prayer for water for the coming year for the crops to grow. So, the claim, the mission's position here is that the flute, right, will not override Shabbos and it won't override Yantif. So when it says that the flute is played five or six days of the holiday, what that means is it's not going to it's not going to be played on Shabbat. And if so, that that will knock down one day out of the seven. And if um, the Yantif doesn't fall out on Shabbat, right, if the first festival day occurs on Shabbos, then you've got six days. But if Shabbat um is an is during Cholamoid and not on Yantif, then you have then you knock down also Shabbat and also the day of Yantif that you would not have flute playing, in which case you'll have only five days. I feel like this Mishnah is like other Mishnah that we have seen and that we will see where there is a kind of a list or um an analysis of how many days do we do the thing? Do, how do we do the mitzvah? In this case, this flute, I'm reminded of the Mishnah at the beginning of Masachat Megillah, where we talk about how many days or which days specifically do we read um, Do we read the Megillah? And we saw it also, where was it, in Psachim? We saw something similar, um, which is right now a blur in my mind, but I know that this is, there's a, a type of Mishnah that does this, that kind of elaborates on the count according to the calendar. Okay, that's the Mishnah. It's Fairly simple, fairly sweet, except for also we might not have ever known anything about this flute that's being played during the Simcha Beta Shoeva. So the Gemara jumps into, I would say, linguistic analysis that might not be what we would have expected. Like I might think that it would get into the, 
the joy of these events and what was a, why specifically a flute. I mean, you know, I could I can make a list of questions. That doesn't mean that's the Gemara's initial questions. So here we go. Itamar, it said, Rav Yehuda, Rav Eina, Chad Tani Shoeva, Vachad Tani Chashuva. So let's get into this linguistics. Instead of saying Simcha Beta Shoeva, there's a machloket whether the word is Shoeva or whether it was called Chashuva. Simcha Beta Chashuva, I suppose, uh, meaning important. Amar Marzutra, Mandatani Shoeva, Lomishtabesh, Mandatani Chashuva, Lomishtabesh. Marzutra says that neither of them is a mistake. They're not wrong. The one who says Shoeva isn't mistaken because we've got a verse um, from the book of Yeshayahu in Isaiah. We've seen this verse already, of course, right? That we know that this happened, that there is a drawing of water with joy. So that's not an error if you want to say that we're talking about the Simcha of the Beta Shoeva. The one who says that the text should read, Chashuva, not Shoeva, important, is not mistaken. The Amar of Nachman, mitzvah chashuvahi, uba mishishit yimei brishit. So Rav Nachman says that this is an important mitzvah, and it comes from, it's got its origins in the six days of creation, right? The idea that there's, it's a, you know, this goes back to the question of the the drain pipes and the and the way the waters of the rakia were separated, meaning the you want to talk about esoteric, this is exactly referring to certain esoteric events, let's say during the Shishimibrishit, the first six days of creation, but that it's connected to that, and that makes it chashuv, it makes it important. Um, so that Rav Nachman saying, well, it's perfectly logical to call these this particular mitzvah chashuv. So that by itself kind of, is only dealing with this phrase of Simcha Petitoeva. And I truly don't understand, maybe you're Dana, maybe you have some insight here, why there was a machloket about this to begin with. Because Simcha Petitoeva, at least in our day, is kind of, a, and, and in our day in understanding the time of the Beit HaMikdash, is that it's a given that there were these, you know, parties of rejoicing that would take place at, during the during Sukkot, during the drawing of the water. So why would there be a need to even say, oh, this word must have been chashuva? Unless maybe there was literally a text where the word looked like chet shin, you know, as opposed to the 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 word for shoeva. If there's no actual visual impetus, I don't understand why the why this machloka uh, between Rav Yud and Rav Ina took place. I, so I wonder if it has to do with just the overall the source overall source of this of mitzvah itself. I mean, this is totally a mitzvah that's really Torah Shavah and I think sort of the linking of it here uh, to text is sort of important to say like no it's, 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 we find it in the text so I wonder if that maybe is the source of the machlokas a little bit okay I'm, I, that works for me I'm happy to go with that I'm just going to finish up a little bit and I'm going to hand it over to you because the, what happens is that as the Gemara delves a little further it says really in fact this Khalil um, would override Shabbat which is, you know, a significant departure from the text of the Mishnah. Right. And, and again, wait, let me just say one thing about that. If you think about it, the fact that we sort of have this mitzvah, right, this 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 whole Simchas Besa Shoeva, right? And again, I think they want to call it a chashuva because, again, it's not explicit in the text itself, right? They're, they're pinning it on a, you know, on a, on a text from Yeshayahu. And then you're going to say that it, even the music can be Doha Shabbat is like a very interesting thing to me. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. So, okay, so let me just get, you know, I'll read through the passage, passage and we can bring everybody into the same conversation. The flute does override Shabbat, um, meaning specifically the flute. But Chachamim said that it does not override even the festival, with the implication perhaps of being Kavachom or Shabbat. Meaning, this really does seem to be a, a dispute over which um, musical instruments can you play that would override Shabbat, or if any. And is the flute, you know, the simplest of them, perhaps. Amar of Yosef, Machloket Bashir Shel Korban. Drebiyosi Savar Ikar Shira Bechli. Avodahi Vidochat Shabbat. So the claim here of Rav Yosef, right, is that the dispute is really about the shir, the music that would take place in the Beit HaMikdash, and the idea that the song here is an offering, right? What makes it the what makes it the offering? Well, according to Rabiosi, it has to be with a kli. There has to be musical instruments accompanying singing for it to count in this way. And then once you have the musical instruments and the singing, then what you have is avodah. You have a worship in the Beit HaMikdash. And that worship because it has it, 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 it is essentially avodah, it is avodah, whatever, it is worship, then it will do Shabbos, because that's the whole point of it, that in the Beit HaMikdash, we have these exceptions to things like musical instruments, and it is, you know, essential to the holiness, the sanctity of the place, so it, it will do Shabbos. Rabbanon Savrei, Ikar Shira Bapeh, V'lav Avodahi, Shabbat. But Chachamim say that when you're talking about um, singing, the singing of the Beit HaMikdash, you didn't need that musical accompaniment. You didn't need the musical instruments. You just simply needed to sing. Once you've got it, to say that the, the essence of singing is with your mouth, then according to Rabbanan, then you without those kalim, I guess they agree that the kli would make the difference, right? That without the musical instruments, you don't have a voda. And once you don't have avoda, once you don't have worship, then it can't dochet Shabbat. It can't override Shabbos. So then you would not be able to use the the musical instruments on Shabbos or Yantas. Avel shir shel shoeva. And here we get to our point, right? This is the it's a different shir than the shir shel korban. The shir shel korban would be the everyday korbanot that were accompanied by the levim singing. But here we've got shir shel shoeva, the song of the drawing of the water. The essence of this song is joy or rejoicing. It is simcha. And the that's beautiful, I think, and a great deal of truth in even in our experience these days, in the absence of the Beit of Mikdash, nonetheless. But what it isn't is Shira Shal Korban. There's no worship in that singing. It's simply joy. So it's not going to do Shabbos, but go ahead and sing. I found this, you know, to be sort of a very meta, a very discussion, meta discussion here on this page, here on this page. because, because it's, really it's really trying to tease out, tease out what's the purpose, what's the purpose of, of music, music in the Beit HaMikdash? And is the and essence, is the of, essence of, it, of it the instrument? The essence, the essence of, it, the of it, the singing? What's, what's you know, worship, you know, worship through song? Through song. So, so, I live in a very, in a very family. My family, my husband's position. This discussion is continuation on the dot. It's very interesting today. I, I would say, as a sidebar almost, the fact that there is a recognition that there is music that is worship, 
and there is music that is not worship, but it is nonetheless joy, I think is very valuable. I think the distinction is valuable, but also the recognition of these different aspects to, to the way we experience and use music, I think is, is a very penetrating conversation. Right. And I don't know if they're making, they're you know, making, one of the things, you know, you one of the things you and I talked about before we before recorded, recorded, this, recorded this is, is are they making, are they making a observation, observation about, about music, music and, song and song in general, in general or, or is it just, just about the music and song of the Big Tummy Dash itself? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, well, I guess we would say that technically, at least in the time of the Beit HaMikdash, you would need the Beit HaMikdash to have it constitute avoda, right? To have it constitute worship. But I think that, I don't know. I don't know whether we would say we still have music in the way of avoda, but certainly in the way of joy, I don't think you need the Beit HaMikdash for that. Even then. It's over whether or not um, vessels in the service can be made from wood, right? And Rabbi Yehuda Nasi would say they're not allowed to be made from wood. And Rabbi Yosef Bar Yehuda says it is okay if they're made from wood. Um, and how does that play out? Then they try to play out a scenario where they say everybody says that the karashir is the kli. And so what is it that they're actually, um, uh, you know, having a, a disagreement about? It's, you know, they do this weird thing of daninan uh, efshar misay efshar, which was a very fascinating concept. So I'm going to start from there, even though it's sort of mid-argument. Lo, dekule amla ikarashir of the kli. So they want to say that no, that that they everybody agrees, okay, that the essence of song is that it has to be accompanied by the instruments. It's the instruments. And so what they're arguing about here, and this is I, I had to read this passage a few times here, is whether you can derive the possible from the impossible. Okay. And so what do they mean by this? Man savar, right? The one who says that it's okay, right? Who says that you can use these wooden vessels, okay? Who say that it's impossible that you're derived, right? This is daninan efshar mishay efshar, right? That you can you can derive the possible from the impossible. What do they mean from this? That you can derive something about the temple service vessels from the flute of Moshe, which was impossible. Because in other words, what made Moshe's flute impossible, what I understand from reading some of the commentators is, is that there was no alternative, the, the flute of Moshe apparently had to be crafted from wood, right? And so therefore, where, and I, I couldn't find it a totally clear explanation about why it had to come from wood, but it had to come from wood. Um, and so therefore, what we're learning from is, oh, since Moshe's flute was from wood, so therefore we're going to say all of the Kalim can come from wood. Right. But even when there was like this alternative that maybe you could have crafted them from metal. Right. We're still going to say that you can craft it from wood. Um, and then Uman's a Pasil Savar. But the one who says that wooden vessels are not OK. Right. This person believes Lo Daninan Efshar Mishi Efshar. This person holds that we do not derive the possible from impossible. So I wanted to read this passage because this was like the first time we ever heard of this particular concept of this like possible from impossible. Um, I, I'm curious if we'll ever see it again. It's actually not a, a term that I've been familiar with before in the Gemara. So I thought that was interesting. That was the first thing that I wanted to read. And the second one that I wanted to do is, is that then the Gemara concludes with sort of 
what do Rabbi and Rabbi Yossi Bar Yehuda um, both do uh, to understand that pasuk of Vasita uh, Haminora? And they each use sort of a different mode of Midrash Halakha interpretation to get to the Halakha the way that they see it. And I just wanted to pay attention to that to see that when they come up with these interpretations, the Tanayim, they're not just coming up with them out of nowhere, but rather they're really built on established principles of how one is supposed to, uh, you know, get these interpretations. So, for example, Rabbi Daresh Bali Uprati, right? So he uses the principle of generalizations and detail, right? Vasita Minorat is a cloud. Make a menorah, that's a generalization because it doesn't say what material the menorah is made from. Zahab Tahor, so that is a detail. It means it needs to be made of gold, right? That's a prat. And then it says a beaten work, the candle average are made, but it doesn't say of what beaten work. So what does that mean? Klau upratu klau, generalization, detail generalization. So then that basically means that you can only really use the detail. The detail is what is important here, right? Um, right. And so what does that mean? So you can use anything that's like the detail. So just as the detail is very clear that it can be made from gold, which is a metal. So then it means all materials have to be a metal. So that so therefore that's why Rabbi would hold you're not allowed to use something that's out of an eighth. Because based on this cloud product cloud, you all the canelum have to be made from a metal because the detail here is that it was made of gold, and therefore gold is a metal, everything can only be made from a metal. Rabbi Yossi is a totally different approach. Rabbi Yossi Bar Yehuda, the Rat Ute. He uses amplifications and restrictions. Vasita Minorat Riba, right? So you should make a candle uh, you know, this menorah. That's an amplification, meaning the material is not specified. Zahab tahor mi'at. Pure gold is a restriction, meaning it's limited only to gold, right? A beaten work, the menorah should be made, is again going back and repeating an amplification. Riba umiat riba, right? So amplification, restriction, and amplification, riba hakol, means that you amplify everything. Ma rabbi, rabbi kol milo, right? So what that basically means is what what is it? What does it amplify? It amplifies all materials. In other words, it can be made from any material, right? Which means even wood. Ma ma'et ma'et shalcharis. But what did it come to exclude? It excluded that it couldn't be made of earthenware. Now I don't totally understand the logic of the second one. Maybe and you understand it better. But my point more of highlighting this is to show, like, again, these are not opinions that are just made up out of anywhere, but they're actually based on a very close reading using particular principles of how we interpret text. And that's ultimately why they end up in two totally different places. Okay, well, um, you know, I just overall, I think this is a very interesting daf that, again, gets into, like, particulars of the um, avoda that we have not seen yet, even though we had two Masakto that were very temple driven, right? Sachim and Yuma. And so, and I think I mentioned this yesterday, it's interesting to see where Sukkah, which we don't really think of as sort of a temple holiday, the temple Beit HaMikdash piece is really being highlighted in the Masachet. Like when we think of Sukkot, we're like, eh, not so much different than how much have actually have been 
um, observe. Like when I rank the holidays of like what has to be really different from the Beit HaMikdash, I don't put Sukkah up there. But now oh, when I I'm do. really reading the Gemara, I, do. I don't know. I didn't before. Now I really put it up there. I do because I think that the fact of so much thing, so much that wasn't done outside of the Beit HaMikdash. So all these things that we do that we think of as like representative of Sukkot were not, you know, regular practice. I hear what you're saying. I just, I didn't think about it that way before. This is, it, it, it's new for me, but I'm glad you thought about it before. This is why we learn the DAF. We learn new things. We learn new things. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hydrant website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Mm-hmm.